Well, listen, thrilled to see you this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you, you know, uh, seats are a little tight sometimes in our second service, but our first service, 9 o'clock, is great. Plenty of seats Saturday night at 6, and uh, if you want to do that, I encourage you. It makes a way for other people. Uh, I, I have a confession to make. Yeah, Pastor Mike said the air conditioner went out. I'm preaching on hell this morning. And <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It did go out. We'll fix it. Well, we're starting a new series today called Street Smarts. Can you say that with me? Street Smarts. Street Smarts. It's a chapter-by-chapter chapter study through one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of James. And I like James because it's so practical. I like Proverbs and Psalms. We were reading in our Bible reading. I hope you read every day along on our, on our Bible app. But uh, we read through Isaiah, and sometimes it's like, Man, these people are evil and, and they're fighting against God and God's going to fight against them. And does this speak to me? But boy, when I read Psalms this morning, it was speaking to me verse after verse. Uh, the book of James is the same way. It's practical wisdom. It's called the gospel in shoe leather. But uh, this word street smarts, it means by definition uh, a person who has lots of common sense. Someone who knows what's going on in the world. They know how to make right decisions. Uh, we used to call it horse sense or know-how. But how many know there's a difference between worldly uh, street smarts and godly street smarts? Listen, there's people that have street smarts that were out hustling last night at 3 in the morning. How many know that's not what we're talking about? There's people that will be trying to do deals in their office and they're, and they're not doing it ethically or morally. They've got street smarts to get a buck, but they're not doing it God's way. And how many know God's way is always a better way? And this is what we want to encourage you with this morning is finding God's better way as we look at James chapter 1. Now, James chapter 1, uh, we'll look at, if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn there. Uh, James, one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. And again, its primary theme is practical Christian living. It is living out our faith. And I promise you, in this series, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, how to make better decisions, how to, how to be the person God wants you to be, it's all over James. Uh, this first chapter will probably deal with seven or eight different topics that kind of like a shotgun pattern will all speak to you. But let's read the first verse. Uh, and it begins the, uh, the author, James, and this interesting phrase, a servant of God. First word he says about himself is, I'm a servant. I'm the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James was Jesus' uh, half-brother. Uh, he grew up with Jesus. He was one of the family. Remember when Jesus was going to, to preach, uh, and they said, Hey, he's crazy. What's he doing? What's wrong with our brother here? But, but when James saw the resurrection, he came back from the life. The one who was just a brother became a believer and a follower. So he writes as a servant of the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This has a Jewish connotation to it. He's writing to the Jewish Christians who, uh, you guys got rhythm out there with those fans. This is kind of like an old, 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 old country church here. Oh, they work good. Where were we? Oh, yeah, James. Um, anyway, it's written to the Christian Jews dispersed from their homeland, but it's applicable to all of us as believers. Now, I want to spend just a moment because I, I want to do my best to find something real practical in every verse a word or two, a phrase, a concept you can put into life. And the first one has to do with the philosophy of the type of Christian I am. James introduces himself as a servant of God. It's a word that I don't really like. Uh, it's a Greek word. It's called doulos. But what it means, it's a slave, someone who belongs to a master. 
And in our current you know, context as Americans, the politically correct definition of this thing does not go well with us. Nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to have a master. Nobody. Anybody got any of that in your thinking? Yeah. You wouldn't say it if you did, though. But I do. But this idea, it's a complete obedience to his master. Uh, the kingdom of God, though, looks at servanthood differently than we do. Uh, Jesus made this statement about being a servant in Matthew 20. Uh, in Matthew 20, Jesus uh, was talking to two of his disciples, and their mom basically came to Jesus and said, Hey, look, can my two boys <laughs> sit at your left and right hand in your kingdom? In other words, it's this kind of like pecking order, and the higher up you, you are, the more important you are. Well, Jesus said, It's not going to be like that among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Then he goes on to say, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus is saying is greatness comes through servanthood. And if I could illustrate it maybe this way, I talk to teenagers all the time. And of course, we have the conversation, what are you going to do after you get out of high school? And some of them say... Now, of course, all of them want to have a nice house and a big truck. Come on. All of them want to be going on nice vacations, and all of them want to have the biggest, newest iPhone and a brand new iPad. But when I asked the question in this context, one of them would say something like, well, you know, man, uh, I'm just going to kind of just, I don't know, I'm going to get me a job, and, and, and my wife's going to get a job, and, and, and I don't know, we're going we're gonna to have a good life. And I talk to somebody else, and they say, you know, I really want to my life to make a difference. I want to make a mark in the world. I think I want to be a scientist. And I said, really? She said, yeah. And it's come Saturday night rather than going to, or Friday night rather than going to party, she's studying for her ACT test. And she's willing to sacrifice a bachelor's degree and then get some master's work because she has a vision of her life for something bigger than herself. She wants not only to have stuff for herself, but she wants her life to make a mark. Aren't you glad that somebody one day invented penicillin? Aren't you glad somebody invented air conditioners and then somebody knows how to fix them? I mean, she wanted to do something to make a contribution, contribution to society, and that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, wonderful to know me as Savior, but if you'll take a step and know me as Lord, let me know the Lord Jesus Christ implies that he's the one we follow, he's our master, and it's not a negative thing, but it's filled with benefits. Because one day when you and I get to heaven, Jesus is going to look at us for the first time, and you know what he's going to say to many people? He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord. It's a mentality and a philosophy. That's the way James starts his message. Now, let's look at verse 2. Uh, this, the rest of this chapter is kind of in two big sections. The first one has to do with our faith under pressure. When we're tested, our faith is tested in life. In verse 2, he says the oddest words. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, how many could say you like trials, problems, and pressure? Wave your hand at me. Anyone? Nobody likes trials and pressures. But James says there's something inherent in this thing that you're going through that has the power to make you a better person. There's something that's available there just like a student. How many know the test is not to punish the student? The test is to promote the student to the next level. Uh, my daughter Rebecca took her ACT and uh, after several times she got a 30. Well, she'd taken, I mean, if you know anything about it, that's where money starts kicking in when you go to colleges. In some colleges, you can get a free ride. 
Well, it wasn't easy for her to do it. I mean, it was hard. She had to push. She had to sacrifice a bit. But guess what? It was a price. And when she passed that test, it opens doors, and her mailbox is filled with colleges that want her to go. Well, it's the same thing with a spiritual test. James goes on to say, For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. In other words, you stick to it. It doesn't knock you out of the game. When it's hard, you don't quit. Uh, but, but then he says, this is a choice, let or allow steadfastness to have its full effect so you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here's the question, what kind of Christian do you want to be? The words perfect and complete, they mean that you're mature, you're finished, you're fully developed. You're like uh, uh, someone that wants to be a doctor. And let's say uh, they go to medical school and, and they get the, the book training. Well, how many know they're not ready to be your, uh, your physician yet? They go to an internship, and that internship teaches them how to hold the scalpel, how to handle it, how to stop the blood. Well, then they are ready to put their shingle out and be a physician because they have prepared themselves. In a very similar way, tests and trials prepare you, if you will allow it, to a graduation to a higher level. Say, give me an example, Pastor. My wife, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, I would arguably say it's one of the worst days in our life, and I want to be careful how I say this, but it was one of the best days. When that doctor told us that, uh, how many know when you get a mammogram and they call you back the next day to see the doctor, doctor, how many know that's not a good thing? Always better when it comes in the mail and they say it's great. And he told her, just matter-of-factly, just like you and I sitting at lunch today, and you said pass the ketchup. That's how he told us that you have breast cancer, you need to treat it seriously. Well, listen, that'll rock your world. That is not something you want to wish or hope on anyone or desire. And after some days of crying and confusion, and finally after most of the storm had gone, let me know when a storm comes in, the first thing happens, the wind blows, the trees bend, but then the rain begins to fall. And we got deep, more deeply connected with God. My prayer life went deeper. Come on now. We got closer to God. We pressed in. We examined our own life. And then we looked at each other one day and said, somehow, some way, the devil is behind this. God's not the author of this sickness. We're not being punished. Come on, we're not in gross sin. We hadn't opened this door. Somehow the devil's behind this. He hurts us. We're going to hurt him. Yeah. And something different shifted. And I want to tell you, this is a different woman sitting on this front row today after, after breast cancer. Praise the Lord, she's been cleared, you know, cancer-free. But she is a different person. Her ministry has taken on a different capacity. Her empathy, her care for people. Because when the trial came, for whatever reason it comes, it's there. James says, if you can face it with joy, not because you feel good about it, but because you feel good about the one who's still good, come on now, in the middle of the storm, you know he said he'd never leave you, forsake you, that no one could pluck you out of his hand. So if he's still my God in the midst of it, something good will come from it. And that's what, that's what we're reading in this passage. Now, uh, let's see. Let me show you how this is lived out. Psalm 105, verse 17. Uh, you remember the character in the Old Testament named Joseph. Now, he's 17 years of age. He has a big dream for his life. And the scripture says God sent someone to Egypt ahead of the rest of the Israelites. There's 70 of them. And there's a young man named Joseph. Now, somehow God is using the bad situation of the jealous brothers to bring them to a place where Joseph can take care of the royal line. Um, Joseph was sold as a slave. Again, no fun. They bruise his feet with fetters. That's change on his feet and, and an iron collar on his neck. But verse 19 tells us, until which means your test is not going to last forever. 
until the time came to fulfill the dream, what's it say? The Lord tested Joseph's character. So you could arguably say Satan could be behind the evil, but God would use it as a test of character to see what we would do. And then one day, suddenly, verse 20, Pharaoh sends for him and he sets him free. And then Joseph is put in charge of all the king's household. And if you know the story, this young man who came as a 17-year-old slave is now 30 and he's running and managing the greatest nation in the world at that time, the nation of Egypt. But the issue is, something at 17 was not ready to do what he did at 30. But how many know every 17-year-old thinks they're ready? But you've got to get some life. You've got to get some street smarts about it. And sometimes it takes the test to see what you really believe. Because I know people who've said, oh yeah, I believe in God. But you let a crisis fall in their life. And you let it not come real quickly. It's easy when the pastor gives a testimony and you give this and it comes back tomorrow and your mailbox is full of checks. But how about if you lose your house? Come on. How about if you face bankruptcy rather than a blessing? You ask the question, where is God? This is where endurance comes in. Staying with God as long as I have to. Moving forwards. Having done all stand. And I'm going to tell you, a good God's going to get you to the other side. And there's a reward when you pass the test. Verse 12, if we skip down, tells it to us. It said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the what? Crown of life. And isn't that what we're living for as Christians? The well done from God, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, in context of trials, but broader application, James says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, one translation says, If you don't know what to do. How many feel like that quite often? <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I don't have a clue. How are you going to pay your bill? I don't have a clue. What are you going to do with your marriage problems? I don't have a clue. Now, this, listen to this. In all simplicity, if you don't know what to do, ask God, and God's not going to make fun of you or beat you up. He's not going to find fault, but the promise is very simple. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and it will, say it with me, be given to you. Say that again. It will be given to you. Say it again. It, it will. Now that's either true or it's false. It's a promise from God or it's pie in the sky. But if it's a promise from God, you can have confidence that when you go to your prayer closet, somehow, someway, sometime, God is going to speak. And when God speaks, you'll be going in the right direction. But now, hey, there's a caveat, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what does that mean? God promises to show us what to do, but sometimes what we're supposed to do does not make sense. Sometimes we don't feel like doing it. But how many know faith and obedience are the proper response to God's Word? Now let me illustrate this to you. Uh, Matthew 17, Jesus is a carpenter, and what's Peter? He's a fisherman, and it's tax time. And somebody asked Peter and said, Hey, look, uh, the collectors of the temple tax asked Peter, uh, Doesn't your teacher Jesus pay the temple tax? Now, having those Christians, we should live above reproach. We should live in a way that the world, you know, doesn't cast dispersions on us because of the way we live. So Jesus is going to pay the tax. But verse 25 says, Jesus told Peter, Go down to the lake and throw in a line, fishing line, Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you'll find a large silver coin. 
and then take that tax for both of us. Can you see Peter's eyes rolling back in his head? This is a guy, come on now, that knows how to catch channel catfish, mud catfish, bass, crappie, brim. This is a guy that if he wants to do the, the gar shooting off the front of the boat, this is a guy that knows everywhere to go. He knows the place where the fish are spawning. He knows how deep to fish. He's got the locators. He's got everything. But the only thing this guy knows is he's never found money in the fish's mouth in his whole life. The best thing he found was a topwater lure in a fish's mouth one time that he caught. But there's... So he's walking down the road, probably with somebody, and they're saying, he can't hear us, can he? No. Have you ever heard anything so outlandish? Well, I was thinking stupid. Well, I wouldn't say that about Jesus. Money in its mouth? He should stick to sanding boards. Do you think maybe they thought that way? Is it just possible they think, I know what he meant, that we're supposed to catch a fish, that's it. We catch the fish and take it and sell it. And that's what we're going to do. And the other guy, Peter said, that's not what he said, though. He said, go catch a fish and open its mouth. Remember, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and God will show you what to do. But when you ask, ask in faith, nothing doubting. Which simply means if Jesus said do it, you do it, come on, and that'll get you to the other side. Can you imagine how he felt when he, that hook, that cork went underwater and he pulled it in or used the net or whatever he did and he said, who's going to look, you or me? Peter says, I'm looking. And he opened that catfish's mouth and there was, a, there, was a, there, there was a gold coin. Now, how many know that's the biblical story? I believe it happened. And the lesson in this is you got to have faith when you're asking God. Come on. If you're seeking to build, if you're seeking to marry, if you're seeking to move, if you're seeking to, 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 to sell, uh, if you're seeking promotion at work, how many know the Lord knows more than we do? And he promises to help us. Give him a good, a good hand here. Um, look at another one, verse 13. Now, this is another type test, but it's a test towards evil. Uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, how many know sometimes tests in life come from God himself? Uh, Genesis 22.1, Scripture says God tested Abraham. Sometimes God's behind the test. Sometimes the devil is stirring up the pot, and it's a test that God uses. But in this case, temptation to do evil, and the Bible's very clear. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Well, what is the desire that that big nine-pound bass in that pond has? A desire to eat, to eat aggressively. So you go out there with your tackle box and you put, you put a red worm on it with a white tail. And you throw it over the lily pads and, and nothing really happens. And you do it for about an hour around the lake. And, and, and rather than going home, you switch to a spinnerbait. It's got a good weed guard. And you're throwing around that lily pad and you're jerking it. And you're letting it come up and letting it come down. You're wanting to entice the desire to act. And all of a sudden you think it's getting darker. You say, I'm going to try a topwater lure. So you, you put on a, a, a pop, Mr. Popper or something like that. Or, or you put on a Rapala minnow. And, and it goes out there and it makes some noise and vibrations. And all of a sudden the desire in that fish overcomes the temperature. He says, I'm ready to eat. And what happens? He's caught. And the Bible says this is how temptation works. You're tempted. And this is now the anatomy of temptation. You're tempted when you're lured and enticed by your own desire. And let me tell you this, friends. All of us have desires towards evil in some fashion. 
Every one of us in this room, even the little angel that sits next to you today, there's something that pushes their button that could push them over the edge. But this is what it says. Desire when it has conceived. In other words, when you say yes to the temptation, it gives birth to, say it with me, sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. Now, who wants to die? And I don't just mean physical death. But who wants their marriage destroyed? Who wants to lose your job? Who wants to get arrested and go to jail? Nobody. But these things happen all the time because the process of temptation worked. And then it says in verse 16, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. So what's he saying? It can happen to you. Punch your neighbor and say, it can happen to you. Come on now, punch them. Say, it can happen to you. If you've got a neighbor that's fanning, tell them to fan a little bit harder here. I could use a little bit of that love, pass it around. Let me illustrate how the devil is behind the temptation. Because how I many of God doesn't do it? The devil's behind it. I want you to see, and, and maybe I can address a, a problem. Most men I know for most of their life struggle with sexual lust. And let's just pretend that this little pretty thing is what Satan's going to use to try to get you. Because his desire for you is to stop your life cold. His desire is for death and destruction... And it's just a matter of time, and it doesn't matter how long it takes. Well, imagine, let's say you've been living the Christian life a while, and how many know just because you've lived it a while doesn't mean that's going to make you Superman? You've been living it a while, you've got to where you don't read the paper much more, but you read most of your news on news sites, and some of the craziest things happen to some of your favorite conservative news sites, soft porn is starting to pop up on them. And you've never really done anything about it. You've never clicked on it and made the pursuit. But you're just kind of at a low spot. Anybody been in low spots? And the tempter whispers in you. You don't know it. it just, you just kind of get this thought or feeling. What if, I, what if I just What's behind that button? And you do it. And it's kind of fun. And you're so quiet. <laughs> I'm talking about the people in first service now. Come on. Lighten up. But <laughs> you look. And then all of a sudden, when you kind of get used to it, because you justify in your mind, here's how it works. As soon as we, if you're walking with God, as soon as sin centers in your world, you feel conviction. And I mean, that's a good thing. Guilt is a good thing. It, it, it's an inner barometer where God and the Spirit say, no, don't do it. But if you keep ignoring it and keep doing it, how I many know that voice becomes, you know, less and less? It's because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And then you think and you say, well, God must not mind or God must not care. You see, we're, our rational mind's working rather than our spiritual mind. Well, then, isn't this, isn't this a coincidence? But my high school girlfriend, me, girlfriend, asked me to be her friend on Facebook. And you just know that I'd like to catch up on life. You just know because I never, we don't see each other. We don't have class reunions. And I just wonder what's going on in her life. And lo and behold, we, we become friends, and, and she lives in Dallas. Well, we start talking a bit, and my marriage gets a rock or two in it. Things are just not as good as they used to be. It's kind of, you know, some of the pizzazz has slipped away. And, and all of a sudden, we start texting, and it gets a little serious. Then she starts sending me pictures, and they may not be sexting, but they're pretty close. So then we decide we're going to have to use a different password. We use a different password. We make it private. 
And all of a sudden, one day, I, I do this, my male ego is particularly low, and my wife doesn't recognize this great thing that I've done by cutting the grass, come on now, or by, or by getting a sale or hitting a home run or killing a turkey or whatever the case is. She doesn't do it. But when I tell my newfound friend in Dallas... And, and, and she just goes on and on and on. And she sends me pictures of other avid athletes like I am. And, and she sends me statistics of turkey hunters. And she just makes me feel like I am the greatest that there is. And then she says, I tell her, well, I'm going to Dallas on a business trip next week. Would you like to maybe have, have dinner? How about Papa Do's? And you're sitting at Papa Do's in Dallas and uh, you're eating Cajun food, and it's good, and you've had the appetizer and the soup, and all of a sudden, her hand finds yours, and she says, you want to come over? <laughs> now, that's what verse 13, 14, and 15 say. <laughs> Punch your neighbor and say, that's a Miller transaction, or translation, but I think it's an accurate one. Let us keep moving on before silence overwhelms us. Verse 19. <laughs> Act on what you hear or hearing and doing the word of God. Now, right after the temptation says, it says, Know this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And this is the focus now, anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You remember our goal is that we want to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But if my anger is out of control, if my tongue is out of control, I'll never be the mature Christian God wants me to be. Now, how many know our tongue, our words, have power to heal or power to destroy? I can either put my arm around a ch my child when she's uh, done bad on a test and say, Honey, you're just not as smart as your brother and sister. Don't worry about it. <laughs> or I can say, You know what? You're the smartest of my three kids, and I know you just had a bad day, and next time you're going to knock it out of the park. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power. Y'all hadn't got over the little mousetrap yet. I know what it is. <laughs> we need to move on. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Someone made this knife and gave it to me. It's pretty, pretty cool, but uh, it's sharp. And it's got some texture to it. But I want you to imagine this, this uh, scabbard that it's in is your, is your mouth closed. And, and this is your tongue. And, and you go home to your wife. And before you know it, uh, you know, not only was dinner late or the beans were burned or whatever. And you say, I wish I'd have married somebody that could cook. Oh, you did, really? Who would you like to marry? Well... Our next door neighbor, Tammy, my mama said I should have married her. Maybe I should have. Now, how many know if I cut you with a sharp knife, I can't just continue the conversation? Come on. If you're bleeding, you got to go to the ER because something dangerous is happening. You know what? You can't take it back. How many have ever been cutting tomatoes or cutting mushrooms in the kitchen and you cut your finger pretty good and you say, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Well, it doesn't matter what you'd have wished. That thing's just going to hurt and sting, and you've got to give it attention. The Bible says the tongue is just like that. Now, I want to give you some hope on this one now because we're talking about anger. Because what happens, anger populates prisons. It causes domestic violence, and it destroys relationships. 
If you're here today and you, you're honest enough to say, I have a struggle with anger sometimes and my tongue lashes out, let me give you some hope because help is available from the Holy Spirit. Come on, let me say it again. Help is available if we'll take advantage of it. Help is available if we'll take advantage of it. Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's working in our life, is love and joy and peace. And verse 23 says gentleness and... Say it again. Self-control, which means when you do this, you say, I can't help myself. The Scripture says God will give you something more than just discipline to keep your mouth shut. God will give you the capacity to change you. Listen, I knew people that used to be street fighters that now are as gentle as a lamb because Jesus changed their nature. I knew people that used to cuss like a sailor, and now if they even said darn, they'd be convicted. Are you, are you with me today? God can change us on the inside. God can change us on the inside. Let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Uh, ladies, this is you. You need a little bit of a suntan. You got a little green going on there. But the worst thing about it is, is it's, you're, it's rough as it can be. And I want you to see this as some level of immaturity in our Christian life. Because again, what God's trying to do is God's trying to make us like these side boards over there. They're smooth as they can be. The edges are roughed off. So if you touch that board, it's not going to hurt you. You're not going to get a splinter. And you're not, if, you're, if you bumped your head on it, it doesn't have a pointed place to hurt you. But the problem is we are all like this in some area of our life. So let's say that you're this young, sweet thing. You're in your late 20s, 29 maybe, and uh, uh, you just got a, 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 a boatload of Facebook pictures from your sister, and she's on a cruise, and she's cruising in Europe, and she's having such a great time, and you're ticked off because the only cruise your husband's ever taken on you on is a cruise around Wright-Patman Lake. <laughs> and, and you have had the afternoon off, and you have spent the, long, the, the afternoon with the case of long necks, and you have gone through about six or... You know what I'm talking about. Don't look so... You, 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 you've gone through six or seven or eight, and rather than throwing them away or hiding them, you're just stacking them up for ammunition. Because this klutz that you married... Now, he's got two jobs. He's trying. But this guy that you married is not giving you the life that you wanted. Come on now. And that you thought you'd have as a little girl. You were going to marry a rich doctor and everything was going to be great. Come on now. And you married a fill in the blank. And it ain't like the way it's supposed to be. And you're mad. And it's only Monday and you went to church on Sunday. So he comes home and he says, hi, baby, I'm home. And you say, you take that long nap. Well, how are you? I've been thinking about you all day. You say, well, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. We're at a pivotal point right now. The husband most likely will head to the garage in fear for his life. If it's happened a lot, he may call the police for intervention. She has a choice. She can pick up another long neck or she can go to the prayer closet. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit changing us on the inside. If you will make a decision... To go to the prayer closet and let the Holy Spirit work on you like this in the rough places of your life. And as you get on your knees in that prayer closet, you say, God, I cannot believe I did this. I said I would never go back. I'd never get drunk again. And I did. And I'm destroying my marriage. But God, I am just out of control. And I cannot help myself. And tears begin to flow. I wonder, Lord, if you're even listening to me now because you're ashamed of me. But you just feel the arms of God just begin to embrace you.
and you feel the Lord saying, I'm going to forgive you, and not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to bless your marriage, I'm going to put it back together. If you'll start applying the biblical principles you've learned, I'm going to bless your husband on his job. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to give you the kind of life that you want. Now what I want you to do, I want you to go out to your husband, and I want you to ask for his forgiveness. I want you to confess your sin like the Bible teaches you, and I want you to say that you want God's help to work. Now look, these splinters, and all of a sudden you rub yourself on that, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a soft place. Come on. It's ready for some stain. It's ready for some polyurethane. And this what was just a board for outside, you could put it in your house now. Come on, because somebody's been working on it. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do if you invite Him in your life. You say, well, what if it happens again? Go to the closet again. It doesn't happen overnight, but how many can raise your hand and say, Pastor, this works. It's working in me for a long time now, and I'm grateful for it. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me head to the end here quickly. I, I, I know it's warm, but we're going to finish quickly this chapter. Verse 21, it says, put away. Everybody say, put away. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Rampant wickedness, it, it, it means like a cancerous growth. In other words, there's some evil habits. There's some evil practices that we have in our life that's like cancer. When I saw Linnell's cancer doctor, I told him about some alternative treatments pe people had talked to us about. He said, I've been doing this a long, long time, but I can tell you this. This is an aggressive cancer. If you don't treat it aggressively, uh, she'll die. And you know what we did? We scheduled the surgery, and within just a few days, they'd gotten rid of that stuff. We didn't like it. It wasn't easy or it wasn't fun, but there's some things in your life that will destroy you if you let them take over. we got to get rid of it. It's like washing dirt from our hands and taking off clothes. But here's some hope I want to give you because this is not easy to do when you're tangled up in it. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. What is that? It's the Bible. And what it's saying is simply this. The Bible has the potential and spiritual power to help you get over your troubled spots. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, The Word of God is alive and... What does that mean? It is not... Listen, this is not Reader's Digest. This is not Popular Mechanics. This is not a magazine, a psychology book. This is a book that literally contains God's Word. And as you meditate on this, you didn't just get facts in your head, but you get something in your heart that has the power to change you. You say, well, I'm a little skeptical about that. Let me tell you how it worked in me. There was a time in my life when I was 19 and I was realizing something was missing inside. I didn't have a relationship with God. Getting high and drinking and partying and all that wasn't making me happy. I had a new this and new that. Everything was great, but the hole inside was growing. And some little whisper, this thought came to my mind. Maybe I need God. And I met this guy running away from my problems, a Gideon, and he gave me a Bible. And it had some scriptures listed. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him, to them He gave the power to become sons and daughters, to those who would believe on His name. I read in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I read that if I believe in Him and confess with my mouth, I'll be saved. And all of a sudden, a new orientation, a new change, something happened. And in my heart, I said, I believe. And that was on August 15, 1976. And I want to tell you, it's been working 40 years in my life right now. The Word of God has power to change. It is more than a New Year's resolution. 
but it is spiritual power. And James adds to that, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourself. Which means it's great to listen to a sermon, it's great to read the Bible, but transformation happens when you begin to act on what you've heard. A doer who acts, verse 25 said, he will be blessed in his doing. So how does this apply? Let's just say, for example, you're, you're, it's not enough to feel bad when anger takes over. It's not enough when the knife comes out to feel bad. If the word says that I'm to go to my brother, come on, the person I've sinned against with my words, then I need to go to them. I need to confess my sin. I need to ask forgiveness. I need to act on the word. See, I don't just need to have it up here. It needs to work itself out in my life. And I'll close with this verse, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious, now we're going to contrast uh, empty tradition with, uh, with true Christianity. If you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, whether it's the anger, gossip, cursing, complaining, if you don't put a horse's bit in your mouth, you're deceiving your heart and your religion is worthless. What's that? You say, well, what if I go to church? Uh, I went to church on uh, Christmas Eve service and I didn't watch Miracle on 34th Street. That ought to be worth something. No. What's worth something is when we, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unstained or unspotted from the world. What's that mean? He's talking about true Christianity, practical living out your faith, letting God transform us on the inside, becoming someone who doesn't just do wrong things, but now someone who's stopped the wrong and is doing the right. And this is what the book of James is about. It's about street smarts for a better life. And I want to tell you, friends, if you'll put it into practice, it'll change the way you live. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? And again, I apologize for the, that, it was, that it was a little hot. Uh, we'll be taking a... Uh, money out of Pastor Nick's check to pay for the air conditioner repair. <laughs> but seriously, could you just take two or three minutes here before we close? And now let's say, so what? Here's where I have an opportunity to be a doer of the word, not a forgetful hearer. I wonder what the Lord has been speaking to you about this morning. I wonder if the issue of being a servant of God knowing Jesus is Lord if you've ever made that step I wonder if you're in the middle of a test right now and it's hard to quit I wonder if you're here today and you even thought about giving up on the Lord unless he did said something to you today I believe he did but you're in a test what are you going to do with it are you going to persevere through it or are you going to throw up your hand and say it's too much it's too hard maybe you don't know what to do and you're seeking wisdom have you talked to God about it? Have you seriously got away about your big decisions? Listen, don't just flip a coin. Come on, go to heaven with your questions. But maybe God's trying to nudge you to do something, but it's too big of a step to do. Maybe that's hard. Maybe you're here today and that whole thing about the mousetrap and temptation, you realize the desire is growing to the point you need to cut somebody off your Facebook. Come on now. You need to cancel subscription. You need to get, some, you need to get some, uh, uh, some protection on your computer and let the wife have the code to it so you can't access it well. Are you, are you with me today? Maybe someone's trying to get in your world and they promise happiness, but they're out to set the trap and destroy your life. 
you need to make a decision, friend. Maybe you're here today and maybe anger is a problem. And you've tried, you've read books, you've taken courses, and you don't really know how to go deeper with God. Would that be a good place just to ask Him and then do what He says? Sure it would. Maybe you're here today and this whole idea of practical Christianity, helping people in need, living a godly life, maybe that needs to go you're aspiring to. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, friends, God hears and God cares when we say yes. Just close your eyes a moment and just simply say, Lord, to the best of my ability, I'm saying yes right now. And you just tell the Lord whatever he's talking to you about, you just say yes, I'm doing it. I'm making the change. Show me what to do. Help me. Deliver me. I want to choose the right way. I want to reject the wrong and do the right. But I need you to help me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to close with this prayer. We're going to sing one song and dismiss. But I'm going to have our prayer team come to the front because I know that oftentimes when, we, when we're praying or service like this, you just feel a need to kind of close the deal. Sometimes it's like reading a book. I mean, no, you don't quit on the last page. You read the last page to see how it ends. Well, sometimes prayer is like that. It takes a decision and it finalizes it before the Lord. Maybe something in this message touched you or it could be something totally different. We'll pray with you about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray today is for your own personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I don't even know if I died today if I'd go to heaven or hell. But one thing I do know is I felt God in this place today. And it was more than just goosebumps and all that. I, I, I sense the real presence of God. And something's awakened in me and I want what you had 40 years ago when you put your trust in Christ. I want that. Maybe you're here today and say, I, I've gone to church most of my life. I've even read some of the Bible, but I've never had that kind of change. My friend, I wonder if you've ever surrendered your life to Christ. I wonder if you've ever come to a place where you, st where you gave Jesus the keys to your life. This is what salvation's about. It's asking His forgiveness, receiving Him as Savior, and listen, following Him as your Lord. And if something feels in your heart like right now, like I'm talking just to you, it's not me, friend. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through me, trying to call you to get on board with Jesus. And if that's you, in just a minute, when we begin to sing, I want to ask you to encourage you to come, step out of your seat, and meet us at the cross, and someone will pray for you. That cross represents what Jesus did when you make the biggest decision of your life. And I want to tell you right now, friend, God will do something big in your life. Don't let anything stop you from what God wants to do. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. Come on down to the front. If you need prayer for anything, somebody's going to be here for you, particularly you that need to make a step to Christ. You need His salvation. You're ready to make a step now. Come meet us at the cross. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Come on, let's sing it right now. I love you and thanks for coming today.